Here we go. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me, as always, Mr. Gabe Gums. Gabe, how are you doing on this wonderful Friday? Doing a-okay. I'm excited for today's show. Absolutely. We've got a great guest on, Tom Basor. Um, he's a privacy advocate. He's an attorney, and he's pretty awesome. Tom, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. Coming to you from Chicago, the windy city on a beautiful fall afternoon. Super jealous. Super jealous of your background because I have been to Chicago. So lovely place. Love being there. Love the food. And I think I told you offline, I, I think I like it a little more than New York, but that's just me personally. <laughs> it's a great um, city. <clears throat> absolutely. Except for uh, sports teams, because I'm all Florida, but that's another topic. So thanks for coming on, uh, honestly, and uh, really excited to talk with you. Uh, why don't we just start everything off with telling us a little bit about your, your background, where you came from, and why you became such a, a privacy advocate? Okay, great. Well, I represent uh, the newcoming um, field into privacy. I've gotten into this, uh, I guess, officially uh, with the pandemic as of 2020. Um, but I like to tell people I've been in privacy for about 25 years, because that's about how long I've been an attorney. And most of my legal career has been doing estate planning, which largely involves helping people uh, get their affairs in order and keep them secret, quiet, away from prying eyes. So <laughs> I've been doing that conceptually for many years. And also for many years, I've been a techie. Uh, I'm part of what I call the greatest generation that grew up uh, with some very simple things uh, coming to pass, like the color television, the microwave oven, and then eventually uh, the computers. And so when computers came into being uh, with things like the uh, Commodore 64, the Amiga, the Sinclair, the Radio Shack TRS-80, uh, that was my generation uh, coming through high school and into college. And so as all these tech uh, things have come to pass one after the other, and as we know, every year brings new uh, developments and new technologies. And it's just been a wild, crazy ride. And I love to be on the forefront of all that stuff. So that's kind of a natural um, that I'd be interested in the privacy impacts of that as an attorney. Um, but it wasn't really until this year that I picked up the, um, the charge with great passion. And the uh, source of that was uh, Sasha Zuboff's book, uh, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. Somehow somebody recommended that to me and I looked it up online and saw that it was like this 400 page encyclopedia mm -hmm. of all the problems with all this new technology that we have. And I went ahead and ordered it and I, I started reading it and I just couldn't put it down. I was just uh, so fascinated by the challenges that all these technologies uh, bring to us. And I was really moved. I was moved by the overall theme of that, especially at the end. Uh, when her, you know, uh, closing line was something of the order, uh, be the resistance, you know, do something to uh, take us out of the path, the inevitable path that we're going down, losing all of our privacy uh, and all of our data to, uh, you know, different surveillance 
whether it's marketing or government or whatever. And so that book really kind of um, uh, hit home with me and it hit home at an appropriate time because uh, with the pandemic and the, the change in the economy and our world with 2020, uh, my business was suffering some challenges. I've always been a uh, sole practice attorney, not only doing estate planning, but things like uh, business and corporations, uh, consumer law, collections, a little bit of everything. And I uh, got all my clients through networking. I was always on the network circuit, either hosting events or going to events and earning my business one client at a time. And that was my, that was my show. And with the pandemic, it all came to a screeching halt. And I had a lot of time on my hands. And this privacy thing kind of hit home with me. And so I just started researching it and found my way to the IAPP, uh, which was just a wealth of information. And then all of a sudden, I realized, hey, you can get some certifications in privacy. And so I started off um, with their US certification. And I just kept going. And I think a lot of people know that I kept going so far that I now have all of them, except for the, uh, except for the French one. So that just kind of demonstrates the passion that I brought uh, to the table um, because I just, I'm so fascinated by the approach that's taken all over the world in terms of uh, how we're addressing the privacy implications of some of these latest technologies. And um, I know that there's a lot of baggage. Um, obviously, that's why we're here. That's why it's such a huge field because there is a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of uproar as to you know, the implications of what it's doing to our society. And so it's, it's a great business to be in. It's a great field to be in. I'm in process of pivoting my own career to do that exclusively. Um, and it's going to be an interesting ride. So I'm really looking forward to it. So that's a little bit of background as to you know, how I got into this. Well, now we know what you spent your pandemic time doing. That's a short order to get all of those uh, certifications and all that reading and everything else done. It. Nice work. It was great. I loved it. Very nice. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's a, again, a perfect time to do it. And it's, we need more professionals in your, in your stature to, to step into the privacy realm, because let's just, uh, there's, there's a lot of room to grow there for, for whatever reason, but it's, uh, it's definitely growing. So why don't we talk, why don't we talk about that, that journey? Um, Obviously you, you're extremely certified now, and there's there's a lot of negative talk around privacy concerns and stuff like that. Why don't we touch on all the positive type of things? I think that's obviously important to to look at as well. Yeah, that's a great idea because I've been listening to a lot of your um, prior episodes, and I think in one episode you guys even made a comment that hey, we should focus on you know some of the more <laughs> positive, proactive things <laughs> um, instead of being tales of doom and gloom all the time. And that's not to minimize the concerns. Absolutely not. But right. I, I think that it's important that as we are constantly discussing um, the implications of privacy and uh, of all these technologies, it's important that we not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We need to understand you know, what is this uh, business of the privacy paradox? Why is it that people are so in love with these privacy invasive technologies? And why do we keep going back to them despite the um, increasing um, publicity? about some of the negative impacts. And the reason that we keep going back to them is because I think a lot of people share the love and the passion uh, for, for the new technology, for the gadgets. Mm-hmm. Everything from our smartwatches to our fitness trackers, to our voice assistants, to our connected uh, appliances, and, and even our Tesla automobile. You know, it's just people are in love with new technology. And that really applies across the globe, wherever these technologies are being implicated. And of course, that's the source of some of our 
uh, consternation because with increasing uh, connectivity, with increasing data and surveillance and video, uh, come these concerns, whether it's uh, you know from a discrimination perspective or um, a government surveillance perspective. Um, there's a lot of heavy things that have come out, but there's also a lot of really cool stuff. So I kind of came up with a, a top 10 list of some of the, my favorite things, my favorite technologies that are also some of the most privacy invasive technologies ever. And, um, you know, we could run through a few of these and I'm sure you guys have your own ideas and they're probably, you know, among my top 10 list as well. Um, but, you know, things just starting from the basics of, uh, of video surveillance. That's a huge thing right now because um, facial, rec facial recognition, especially. Let's go down that list. Let's do it. I don't know if you have kind of an order to it. I want to hear what you think the most invasive one is, but save that one for, for the end. I'll save that one for the end. Okay, so I'm going to go down Tom's top 10 list of privacy uh, invasive technologies that we all love. Okay. Bring the turban here for this one. <laughs> Number 10. And I'm just going to read through these real quickly, and then whichever one of these strikes home for you guys, we can dive into in a yeah. longer conversation. Absolutely. Um, Number 10, video surveillance. Number nine, facial recognition. Number eight, the virtual assistance. Number seven, GPS tracking. Number six, robotics. Number five, big data. Number four, smart watches. Number three, connected appliances. Number two, cloud computing. And my number one topic, which I think has the largest impact of all, of course, would be social media. Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, all these things that everybody is spending hours and hours on and uh, giving away the, the store in terms of their behavioral data. So one so of those jumps off the page for me. I was having a conversation with a data scientist last week about some virtual assistants, and we started joking about how Clippy was about 10 years too soon for his own time. <laughs> Clippy? Clippy. Play, yeah. yeah. Remember Clippy from Microsoft Office. He was the very first virtual assistant. Little uh, little clip. He was a little paper clip. He'd pop up when you were typing things in, in any office document. And he was kind of creepy. Clippy was creepy. And he'd be like, looks like you're doing this thing. Can I help you with it? And you just want to clip him away or click he, him away. He was the absolute worst. Fast forward, they try to reinvent Clippy, coincidentally. You've got a little dog up next to you. They try to reinvent Clippy as a little as a little dog. Our Poochie would not be happy. But talk to us about why virtual assistants are such a challenge. Well, they're a challenge because they listen to us. Because even when we don't intend for them to be on, sometimes they capture things and they add to the data that's being collected by us. And I don't care if you're talking about Google or Amazon, or you know anybody else, Bixby, whatever it is, these uh, these devices are out there and they're becoming pervasive. And I have I have a number of these devices, and I absolutely love them. And I'm going to tell you why in just a couple minutes. But before I do, do you guys have virtual assistants? Are you into Amazon or Google Home? Not only do I not have any, I was just double checking my phone and talking. They're all turned off. I am not a fan. Correct. Same here. Same. I don't okay. use any. I don't use any. No Amazon. No. Jerry never worked for me well anyways. <laughs> <laughs> this show is called Privacy, Please. We live it, we breathe it. Sure. The, the only time Siri would work for me is if I ever yelled out, are you serious? And it would pop up and say, can I help you? 
Yeah, I don't even have it enabled to listen. People love these virtual assistants because of the convenience that they provide for us, whether it's ordering products or whether it's um, texting uh, while driving. Texting while driving, that's a big one. Uh, yep. voice, voice directions so that you can interact with maps and things. Um, but let me tell you about a huge one that is life-changing for many people around the world, and that has to do with elder care. Elder care is um, a big issue right now because there's a lot of people that are alone, and especially during the um, uh, pandemic, there's been a, a lack of contact with some of our parents and some of our elders, and it's been an issue. So um, people are, have this strong need to be connected. And so that's what I use my devices for. I have the Amazon Echo Show. And that's a video-based device that I have in my own uh, home, in my kitchen. And then I put one with my elderly mother, who lives about 50 miles away from me. And so with the click of a few buttons or voice commands, um, I can be online with her on video. And that's just so incredibly comforting to know that you've got someone uh, close at hand uh, and that you can do the face-to-face, the eye-to-eye contact. And it's just yeah. And it's not only the contact, but it's the ability to set reminders for medications. It's the ability to drop in. If I don't hear from her for a couple of days and I want to check in on her, you know, I can just drop in and and see what's going on at her home. Um, For her, it's the entertainment. She's got this huge stack of uh, CDs and DVDs and things that she doesn't quite know how to use the machines. And I say, Mom, just pick up one of these things and say, Alexa, play the, you know, Frank Sinatra songs. And all she has to do is use her voice. And all of a sudden, she's got this terrific, um, you know, catalog of music or movies, you know, that can even play YouTube and that sort of thing. So that's the kind of life-changing technologies that uh, a lot of us are taking for granted when we focus on the privacy invasive nature of it. But you know what? Those things, and I told this to my mom, I said, if you're ever concerned about your privacy with this thing sitting in your living room, throw a kitchen towel over it. And, or I also show her where they where the plug is. I said, unplug it. There's nothing wrong with you know taking it out and you know just being done. Because I have to tell you that it, it messes up from time to time. Uh, it right. frustrates her. She's like, well, Alexa doesn't like me today because <laughs> I couldn't get her to do what I wanted to do. And so it's <laughs> constant battle because she'll she'll call it by the wrong name. She'll call it you know Josephine or something and wonder why it doesn't act the way it should. But um, so that's the virtual assistant and, and the um, capacity that it has for good. Um, and it's not limited to elder care. Just a couple other quick examples. Um, virtual assistants have been instrumental in saving lives of people um, from crimes. You know, if you are uh, mugged or something, you're on the road and you're, you do have your phone with you, you can you know, press a couple of buttons or if you have the voice uh, help enacted, you can do that. Uh, there was a story in the, in the paper not long ago about a, a young man that was driving in his car and ended up in the river and somehow he had the presence of mind to use Siri, I think it was Siri, to call for help, and then it was able to track him. So there's some definite examples of how voice assistants have been terrific. And somehow, if, if we can overcome the privacy obstacles, and I'm sure we will with the passage of time, we will get it right eventually, but it's important to focus on the great things that these technologies provide for us. And so that's the example of the voice assistant. I'm curious to get your take on the positives around uh, big data. Can we dive into that? And maybe, I know Gabe, Gabe has a bigger background with big data, but would love to hear your take on, on the positives around that. Do you want to start on that, Gabe? 
No, 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 no. This is the Thomas Besor episode. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> okay. Episode was episode number one. <laughs> well, let me tell you about big data. Big data is absolutely instrumental now. It's it's saving lives. It's saving the environment. It's saving the planet. Big data is responsible for um, allowing us to analyze things from a very large scale. And there have been articles written about this. You could do a, a, a duck, duck, go search. Notice I didn't use the other one. You can do a duck, duck, go search of big data saving lives. And you'll come up with story after story about how big data allows us to do technical analysis of very complicated problems like global warming, for instance, or public transportation. Uh, where are the needs being met? Uh, in the, in terms of healthcare, vaccinations, there was a big story about um, where uh, the money, where the efforts should be placed in eradicating polio. Uh, what part of the world should we focus those efforts on in terms of, you know, where is it most prevalent? And when you get these large volumes of data and when you can apply um, artificial intelligence or some kind of technology to analyze that data in creative ways, it's astonishing that the results uh, have come through. And so there's a lot of academic literature and there's also some popular literature about how big data uh, saves lives. And it's just really incredible. There was even a huge conference, I think in Madrid last year, where they talked about how big data can be instrumental in solving some of our most challenging problems in the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. So there's, from my perspective, there's nothing inherently wrong with big data. For that matter, you know, everything on your list, there's nothing inherently wrong with them. I think a lot of it comes down to how we use it, how we govern it, how the organizations that are entrusted with it protect that data and now privacy. Big data is going to continue to change the way we operate, I think, in a very positive way. Um, and we keep those privacy guardrails on it, and there's, there's nothing we won't be able to do. Do you have any experience with big data, Cameron? Are you, uh, do you use any um, you know, transit apps or, I guess, big data, even Google Maps, when it starts giving you traffic analysis, that has to do with big data. Yeah, I mean, from time to time, I do use that. I, I would, to go back to Gabe's point, I think that's actually really neat to think about the bigger picture of your top 10 list and how it is you, how it is being used because you almost wonder are companies and consumers and whatever else, are they using it in a, a malicious way on purpose or an accident? And that, that really comes down to the dangers of privacy. And a lot of the times it's because they don't even know, they don't even know what they're doing is actually bad. So it's interesting. I'm curious because uh, I'm I'm a huge smartwatch person. Um, would love to hear your take on the smartwatches because there's a lot of advantages there and a lot of positives. I think. Well, the um, the smartwatches are incredible, uh, especially the Apple Watch has recently got a lot of um, publicity because of the ever increasing um, capacity of it. Uh, everything from the fall detection to uh, mm -hmm. detecting irregular heartbeats, to um, the GPS tracking that's in there, um, even its ability to make a call, uh, if you have the phone version, 
And I'm looking over this article right. right now about how five people have shared their stories. And that's where I read the story about the kid that ran off the road into a river and he had his smartwatch on him and he said, hey, Siri, call me an ambulance <laughs> or whatever the language was. And um, so he was yeah. able to save his life. And that's just incredible. The, the ability to have that uh, technology on our wrist and that comes in a number of different forms. It's not only the ability to call for help, but it's the, the tracking and the analysis of our heart rate. It's the ability to see if we have a sudden deceleration indicating a fall. It's the ability to track us, uh, track our movements. Uh, I happen to do a lot of adventuring, whether it's backpacking or sailing or whatnot. And the ability to have um, my family know where I am, uh, especially at those times, is critical. I think last week, uh, a, a, hike, uh, a mountain climber lost his life in Colorado. And sadly, they found him from his trackable device, his smartwatch. Uh, and that was a case where, you know, the technology assisted in the recovery of the body, which I guess is you know, beneficial to the family. Yeah. Uh, but if it were not for that technology, the, the man never would have been found. And so just the, these technologies that we have on our wrist, um, and I, it could be even as simple as calorie counting or encouraging you to close your circles and take more steps. You know, just the, the depth and the breadth of the benefits are incredible. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. That's why I have one. I have, a, I have the latest one. Well, not the one that just came out. I think it's the six, but it's incredible. Do you, does, your, um, does your mother have one? Did you ever get one for her about the for the, the heart rate and the, no, I, the she doesn't, she doesn't have the, um, the smart watch. And to, to be honest with you, I'm, this might amuse you, but I don't have one either. <laughs> I have a, I have a Timex Ironman. Um, because That's classic though, I like to be a Luddite at times, as much as I love the technology, <laughs> I really don't need a $600 phone on my wrist. Um, but mind you, I have one of the latest iPhones and you know, all the other <laughs> stuff, but, sure. um, for my mom, I think she'd have a little trouble with the technology. Uh, and I don't want her too close to the technology. I try to keep her off of Facebook and <laughs> all these other things. <laughs> I don't want her to have a smartphone or a smartwatch. But um, she does wear a pendant. She's in a, in a retirement community where everybody, oh, okay. everybody wears pendants. And if they experience a problem or a fall or something, they can um, push the button. And, uh, you know, that's, that's another option for them. But, yeah, it's, it's incredible. The, the ability of people to, to use these apps. And I guess we should talk a little bit about the apps because our love affair with apps is largely what drives uh, the, the data collection. Right. And, and That's where the privacy concern is really, if anything. And when I counsel people, I do a lot of personal counseling of people on their privacy um, settings and that sort of thing. And the first thing we do is sit down across from one another and I say, okay, take out your phone, set it on the desk. I want to see how many apps you have. And I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast to take out your phone, set it on the table, and count the number of apps. In my case, it was like 65. 65 apps? <laughs> what the heck do you do with 65 apps? You know, star tracking, plane spotting, uh, Facebook, Twitter. It, it adds up. And it's incredible, the number of apps that we have. And one day, one day I went through that phone screen after screen after screen, and I just decided to delete anything that I hadn't used in, say, two weeks. And that really cleaned my phone up a lot. Um, but a lot of those apps that we put on our phones, we just forget about it. And then, of course, we've clicked the terms and conditions without reading them because we really don't care. 
And um, we just want what it does. So, hey, I got this really cool flashlight app on my phone. Guess what? It's tracking me. <laughs> it's tracking my every move and it's selling that data. And that data is being combined with other data about me with the unique identifier from my phone. And so this is the conversation that I have with people and they're just completely shocked when I educate yeah. them. And so we have a good time learning about how to protect ourselves, how to turn off the location spotting, how to reset the uh, advertising ID. And that's well, simple stuff. Well, see, that's, the, that's the, the scary part. And Gabe, correct me if I'm wrong, but even if you turn off your tracking or whatever it is, your phone always has some kind of tracking because... Sure, at a minimum, it's got a pink cell tower, right? Right. Yeah. So when is the last time you guys turned your phones off? Ooh. Well, <laughs> yeah. Never, we don't. Whenever it starts acting up on me. <laughs> I turn it off once a week because I tend to think about these things. And to be honest with you, we should turn them off once a day and leave them in the kitchen, put them in a Faraday box, put them in a metal box so that they can't be pinged. I, I tell people to try this as an experiment. Turn your phone off for a whole afternoon. Leave your home without your phone and see what it feels like. And that's a challenge for a lot of people. Oh, it no, is. I, I couldn't possibly be, you know, apart from Facebook or Instagram. What would I do to take a picture? <laughs> what if somebody wants to text me? And, and to the generation that grew up with these, with these devices, that's all well and good. But what about those of us that grew up without them? Back in yeah. the old days when you would have to bring your bag phone with you. <laughs> it's, I actually do remember that. I do remember the bag phone. I looked up on I looked up on eBay recently. I was going to get myself a bag phone just for kicks as a as a gag party <laughs> gift and walk in with that thing. But people just can't imagine wandering around without their connected device, and that's just so so darn sad. Well, and, you know, Tom, you, you bring up a good point, and I, and I think the reason being is because it's an addiction. Uh huh. Addictive that, by design. Yeah. You've heard of privacy absolutely. by design? This is addictive by design. And that's no secret. And it's because coming out now. Because of the color schemes. It's because of the, the colors, the, the, the way that it's designed is, you're exactly right. It's, it's meant to stimula, stimulate the, the mind. And it's, it's scary when you think about it. Because when you told me to turn off my phone and experiment to leave the house without it, I immediately thought, I don't know. I don't know. Heart palpitation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know that. What's the thing where have you guys ever had your leg or your arm vibrate, and you didn't even have your phone on you? (laughs) No, I can't say that that I have. No, I might need to go to the hospital because because that's happened to me before. (laughs) The the, the, the red colored bars in this episode of Privacy, please. Like Cameron's got to go to the. uh, Okay, so we're falling into the same trap, you guys, with all these conversations end up devolving into the bad topics. Right, okay, let's go back. Let's bring it back. Thank you. So I want to stay, though, on the topic of GPS tracking, because um, there's some real positive stuff involved in GPS tracking. And I have a very moving story to tell uh, when I get to this one part of it. But GPS tracking, uh, package delivery. When are my Amazon packages going to arrive? You know, you can click a map and see where the darn truck is. Um, caring for the elderly, caring for kids. There's an article with the new, uh, the latest version of the Apple Watch. You can set it up to some kind of family uh, tracking and, and allow kids to be able to be monitored where they are. And that can be very valuable if you live in an environment that requires it. It could be life-saving. Um, 
for adventurers, people like me that like to go out backpacking or sailing, I have a really sad story to tell you from about seven years ago, I was in a backpacking club and one of my buddies decided to go out in the Rocky Mountains. And I said, are you bringing a uh, GPS device, you know, something that can send an emergency message by satellite? And he laughed at me and he laughed at me. And that was the last conversation I ever had with the guy because he went out backpacking in the mountains and he did not acclimate with enough time to the altitude and he had a, a cerebral you know, accident. He had a stroke. And, wow. and we looked for him for weeks. There must have been 100,000 man hours of time. There's mountain rescue squads out there and groups of 10 looking for this guy uh, along his path that he was going to go. And they never found him. His, his remains were found, I think, three years later because he didn't bring the tracker with him. And so now that makes me the most passionate advocate about this technology, about how, how it can save lives. And it's just really, it's really cool. So I bring these trackers with me when I go on adventures. Um, some people know that I'm a sailor. I sail across the ocean between the East Coast to Bermuda to the Caribbean. And so oftentimes we find ourselves four or five days away from shore, like a thousand miles out in the middle of nowhere. And I always bring a satellite a tracker with me so that I can share my location with people. And it also allows me to share little messages. Oh, it's a beautiful night. We're sailing under a full sail and a full moon. And it's just absolutely gorgeous out here. And what, I remember one really amusing time, uh, this particular tracking device I had allowed me to post to Twitter. And I posted to my favorite pizza delivery guy. I mentioned him in my tweet. I said, can I get a pizza out here in the middle of the Atlantic? <laughs> and it was just so cool. He was unable to fulfill that request because we didn't have the drone technology that we have today. But um, just, you know, it's fun, but it's also life-saving and it's comforting to be connected. And there's very valid reasons for that kind of stuff because it can actually save a life. Um, one of the articles I recently uh, pulled up uh, this particular device, I think it's called the Delorme uh, Spot Tracker, they just um, passed a milestone of saving 5,000 lives during the time this product has been on the market because it has an SOS button. And thankfully, a lot of times the SOS button is pushed without really being needed, but uh, they've counted 5,000 occasions now where they've saved lives from everything, oh. from, you know, uh, backpackers, campers, adventurers, mountain climbers, whatever. And so that's some really cool uses of uh, smartwatches, GPS trackers, you know, satellite connectivity. That's super interesting. <laughs> and like you said, ton of positives for all of these, especially the GPS tracking. I mean, just, I mean, I don't know how many years ago when we didn't have something like this, but being able to, to know where a family member is or, being able to find somebody or just knowing that you have that on you is pretty nice to, to think about. Um, I only wrote down, I missed a few of the other ones on the list that you had. What are some of the other ones that we didn't get to go through? Let's talk about robots. Robots. Robots, robots? are incredibly um, valuable in circumstances where you need precision and in circumstances where you need to isolate human beings from chemicals or materials that could be harmful. And so uh, there's an article out here about five super dangerous jobs that robots can do safely, whether it's lifting 
uh, incredibly heavy, concentrated weights that need to be placed with precision. Um, that's one particularly valuable use. Um, when there's hot molten metals in a manufacturing environment, a robot won't think twice about losing its arm by stirring that molten metal. <laughs> We've all seen um, Terminator, so. There you go. Uh, radioactive or you know, medically sensitive waste. Robots are great for collecting and packaging that to keep it away from harm. Um, working in contaminated environments, doesn't have to be radioactive, but you know, dust, chemicals, that sort of thing. Uh, there was a recent article about um, the California wildfires where they have one of their most advanced uh, robotic firefighting devices that can charge forward. It's an all-terrain robot that can be directed towards a fire and uh, pave the way or clear the way for the firemen to come behind it. Uh, repetitive, oh, wow. repetitive motion kind of thing. So robotics is a huge field, and I just touched the surface of it. Another huge one is um, robotic surgery. Robotic surgery allows um, uh, expert surgeons to operate from across the world uh, using a joystick. Now, obviously, you've got medical personnel there in the operating room, but if you've got somebody with particular expertise who's world-renowned in the field and they can operate on you from a remote location, that's really cool. And they can do so with a huge degree of precision so that a, a surgery that otherwise might have put you in the hospital for a week, uh, maybe you're going to do it as an outpatient because of the, of the micro-targeting. Uh, and, you know, not only surgery, but cancer treatment with uh, chemical or radiation. Robotics is huge in the amount of benefits that it provides uh, for our society. And it just gets better every day. So there's article after article on, on the internet about how surgery uh, through robotics have saved lives. Um, and also in, in the dangerous work environments, uh, law enforcement, there's a couple of stories about how uh, robotic vehicles have been able to defuse, um, you know, bombs or whatever, or take out um, threats without risking the lives of officers. Yeah. So, Did you think it? What if they had a robot for Chernobyl? Uh, yeah, maybe that wouldn't have uh, gotten as bad as it did. Right. I, I mean, you never know. Obviously, well, they, those were even Fukushima. Was it Fukushima? Is that what I'm? Saying it right, but it sounds Japan, right. In Japan, when they had that uh, accident, I'm sure they do use the robots to this day, um, yeah. because there's still a lot of remediation taking place in both of those environments. So uh, robotics was another one. Um, did you have some, Gabe? I you missed my favorite robot use case: bending things. Bending oh. things. <laughs> you want to arm wrestle a robot? <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, we won't bend, Gabe. We will snap. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, the is there, uh, Tom, is there any other on the list that you want to dive into before we get on to um, some of our last topics? No, I think just to wrap that up, um, connected appliances, obviously, um, right. everything from the refrigerator to the, the furnace, uh, connecting the thermostat so for environmental control and prevention of damage if temperatures get out of spec, whether it's a furnace or a, a refrigerator or a freezer, mm -hmm. could really save economically. Uh, connected appliances are, are also very valuable in saving energy because they can be turned on and off at more uh, discrete times. Right. There's uh, literature in there about how that can save not only incredible amounts of money, but incredible carbon emissions 
and environmental damage just by uh, controlling uh, connected appliances a little better. So that's a huge one. Uh, all of these technologies revolve around uh, what's called cloud computing, which is just the overall broad uh, description of what enables all this. And cloud computing is is pretty much you know new over the past what 10, 15 years, uh, enabling us to um, uh, put data in the cloud, enabling us the flexibility to work from home during a pandemic, for instance. Uh, uh, all these things that are now uh, causing us distress with the handling of this data and the protection of this data from the prying eyes of industrial espionage, uh, from the prying eyes of ransomware, from the prying eyes of governments. There's a lot of consternation now coming to light as we tackle, as the novelty of these things has begun to wore off and we start to tackle some of the more illicit social consequences. Uh, obviously, we're, we're grappling with some major issues, uh, not the least of which is the, the GDPR and the latest TREMS decision and the great uh, internet wall of Europe that many see coming. Um, and it's important that we focus on the benefits and, and figure it out. It's up to the lawyers. It's up to the privacy pros. It's up to the engineers to figure out privacy by design, whether it's encryption, data minimization, uh, somehow get the consent right. Um, there are solutions, but there, there are no shortcuts to these solutions. These things have to be worked out, and there's a lot of great minds uh, working on them. And uh, a lot of people that have been in this industry for a long time, and they've got the ideas. It just needs to be put together to, to solve it. And, of course, this all goes back to the, probably the biggest thing on a lot of people's minds today is the social media, right. the, the Facebook, the Twitter the, um, the problems that we're seeing firsthand with false information, with uh, interference with democratic institutions. You know, people are like, I'm on Facebook. I'm sharing cat photos. What's the big deal? This is the problem I get from my friends. They don't, they don't understand what's being collected about them. And so this is why People are slamming these movies like, oh, they're too uh, sensationalist, things like The Social Dilemma, The Great Hack, uh, The Rise of AI. Uh, yes, they've got issues, and yes, they're sensationalists, but they need to be because people need to become more aware so that when they consent to these things, they know what they're doing. And yes, laws and limitations need to be put in place to protect us from ourselves, <laughs> but um you know, it needs to be worked out because the benefits are, are too great. Yeah, that's a great point. It was making me think about like social media nowadays. Uh, I don't know if you ever had a chance to see that latest um, documentary on the, not to get dark or anything, on the, on the husband that, uh, that unfortunately murdered his wife and kids. But it was interesting because the documentary wasn't like some of the older documentary murders because they used social media and text messages and, and, and technology to actually help solve the case, which I thought was really neat and kind of relevant to, you know, how the times are, because I think that's another positive to think about some of the things around social media is that uh, it, it, on research and stuff, it can help. And you, you, you can actually see the, the wide open, you know, mental health issues that, uh, that can be, kind of right there in, in front of your face without even realizing it. So 
it's um it's incredible what you can kind of use technology for nowadays nowadays around that kind of kind of thing so a lot of challenges a lot of opportunities right it's, it's just if I've, we use them if we use them in a good way is is the important thing yep absolutely yeah. so it's been an interesting ride for me just in the short period of uh 10 months in 2020 and i'm i'm just really looking forward to what the future holds uh for my practice uh i've been you know information overload uh everything from healthcare privacy to uh, commercial surveillance, retail surveillance, um, you know, just trying to get it right. And it's just, it's such a treat to be involved in such a contentious growing. And, um, you know, the, the field is just, who knows what, what the future is going to bring. And I know you're going to have an episode on that of future predictions and privacy. So we'll be interested yeah, to see. Yeah, hopefully we'll get some of your take on that. And, you know, to your point, thank you for, you know, being, being who you are and what you're doing, because we need more people like, like yourself in the industry and in privacy, because that that's a community that's being built and, and it's just frankly needed. So I'm, I'm just so thankful for the professionalism and the openness of the privacy community. Uh, I've just been embracing and, and had access to so many people uh, primarily through LinkedIn, but also through virtual conferences and things. The pandemic has really taught us the value of the internet and our ability to reach out to people. And that's just so critical is to be out there uh, connecting with others that share similar passions and to trade these ideas so that we're not reinventing the wheel all the time. So I think it's great that you guys do this podcast. There's a number of other, you know, great resources out there, all the different groups uh, that are on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I would encourage people to reach out to me. I love to converse with people. Um, that's an example of, of what a small world we have through right. the benefit of technology. I've spoken to privacy professionals all over the world. I mean, literally China, Singapore, the Philippines, Brazil, um, just the ability to, to reach out, find people like yourselves that are out there, you know, putting themselves out and, and starting the conversations. It's important not to just let it scroll by on whatever social media we have, but actually reach out to people. And it's just been right. So great that people are so open and willing to talk about it. And I think that if we do that with one another, we can uh, lend our own expertise and, and solve some of these challenges. Couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, before we wrap things up, I, I want to, again, thank you. And before we do that, cannot forget our fun segment. I got some fun questions for uh-huh. you. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll wrap it up. So <clears throat> let's go ahead and dive into that and, and then we'll close it out. But um, let's first start off with one, um, not too funny, but, you know, t- tell us about a talent that you might have that no one really knows about. Oh, well, my talents involve adventure. Uh, I must, I mentioned this earlier, I'm a sailor and mm-hmm. I love to help deliver sailboats across the ocean. And so uh, an interesting talent is that I know how to sail across the Bermuda Triangle and survive. I've done it three times on small sailboats with crews of five to seven people. And really? so that's my hidden talent is my love of adventure, my love of the unknown, my love of solving problems. Because when you're out on the ocean, 750 miles from shore in the middle of a storm, you figure it out. <laughs> so that's it's my terrifying. That's my fun <laughs> uh, adventure story and my fun talent story. And I don't do it alone. I do it with people that are a lot smarter than me. You never want to be the smartest one on any adventure. Does, uh, does the trackers? Oh, what game? Sorry. So certainly not on a boat. No. no. <laughs> Do you have your trackers on? Do they work out there? Oh yeah, absolutely. They're satellite based. 
Okay, uh, it's, it's a blast. Awesome. Serious question. Can you fold a fitted sheet? No. Well, yeah, I can fold it in my own way. Trick question. That's no human. <laughs> That's where robots come in handy. That's true. They can. Where did, where did you get that one? <laughs> Do you Let's have a book of odd questions to confront your guests with? Cam is the I, book of odd questions. Yeah, I try. I try to make it as odd as possible. I love it. This one's I good. love it. This one's good. Uh, would you ever eat ice cream with your hands? No. No? Just no fingers just... all up in there? I mean, if I didn't have a spoon, I'd just dump my whole face into the bowl. <laughs> why, why get your fingers dirty? <laughs> I, I have a weird thing I do. I, I eat ice cream, and my thing is, is I'll pour milk on the ice cream because when the ice cream melts, it uh, I don't know, there's something weird about it to me, and I like to have everything stay cold. Does that make sense? It'll get a little warm, but um, mm. it gets a little icy too. I don't know. I'm weird. This isn't about me. Let's move on to you. Said <laughs> it, not us. See, I'm getting a little too private here, which brings me to this question. I, I love bringing this up now. It's one of our favorites. Uh, with toilet paper, are you an over or under guy? I have no idea. I really don't care. It's nothing I've ever paid attention to. Do people care about those things? People care about those things, Thomas. Really? <laughs> it does. <laughs> Apparently, I found out when I started asking that, that's a big topic for Gabe. That is huge. I don't know. Maybe it's just something I take for granted. I'm I'm trying to think of how my toilet paper is. It's probably it's probably over, but I don't think I would care or notice if it was the other way around. It's okay. You can go find it. We'll wait. We'll be right. <laughs> that's, that's okay. I'm not gonna. I think that's too private to share with you. I have to oh, set. We got, a, I mean, we got all day. It's okay. I'm, I'm a privacy professional. I have to set bounds here. <laughs> um. So if you got abducted by aliens telepathically and they asked you who you wanted to bring with you on their spaceship. What three people would you ask them to pick up dead or alive? Wow. Wow. Uh, I had a good friend pass recently. He was 85 and three quarters years old and a uh, a Renaissance man of many talents and skills. I'd want to bring him along with me. Uh, And I'm, I, I don't know why I'm thinking of dead people. I'd ask to bring my grandmother. She passed probably 45, 50 years ago and was just my champion, my hero in life. And I still feel very fondly about her. And then um, let me think of a a living person. Oh, I'm going to get points for this one. I'd bring my wife along. (laughs) There you go. She and I have a special bond and she'd kill me if I didn't say that. So, of course, she came to mind pretty quickly. But, yeah, those are the three people. Awesome. And what what would be the funniest joke you know to tell at all parties? You got to have one. Why are there so few Irish lawyers? Because we cannot pass the bar. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Ooh, That's yeah, my yeah. bad lawyer. That's joke. hot. That's a hot take. <laughs> That's a hot take. Two hot takes in one. I like it. <laughs> I can only say that because I'm an Irish lawyer. Spicy. <laughs> spicy. That is spicy. Um, Let's go with this. Uh, obviously, you're probably a, a texter, but uh, what's your most emu- uh, used emoji? Smiley face. I really don't use emojis. No, <laughs> smiley face would be the one. Yeah, that that business about the turd emoji and all these other goofy things, or or people that do their face in cartoon form. I just don't get that. That's eh, fair. I mean, I, I've, I'm a, I'm I'm one to use it a lot because I don't know. They're fun. They make it fun, I guess. Hmm. Um. 
if you could, if you were forced to detach a body part of yourself, which one would you choose? <laughs> oh, good Lord. Really? That one, that's a hard one. A finger? <laughs> I could lose a finger. I'm pretty ambidextrous. Not that I want to or anything. That's an easy one. It's the little toe. It's the little, you don't need that thing. What are you going to do with that thing? It's true. <laughs> I've had to actually, that's a great option because I've had some, um, uh, adventure accidents involving my feet from time to time, and you have to tape up a, a toe or two. Right? Yeah, they get uh, they get in the way of the shoe and stuff. That's so. pretty easy to deal Where's with. That? So yeah, that guy's out yeah. of here. <laughs> just make just yeah, just make your feet like the Ninja Turtles, and then you can wear those cool sandals. There you go. They wear. All right. Well, awesome. Great Tom, questions. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I I feel like I'm pretty creative, and I I also use the internet, so I'm not going to lie about that. I love the, the inter- interweb. The interweb is. It's, it can go very, very dark very quickly. <laughs> Listen, I just want to thank you guys so much for bringing me on this show because I enjoy you guys so much. And I've listened to a lot of your shows and the caliber and the quality of the people that you have on there. I'm still trying to figure out why you asked me to be on because I am not worthy with some of the people you've had on this show. And I like to tell people I have great shoes to fill. <laughs> and and I just I'm amazed to be on here, and I'm just so thankful for you. So thank you so much, and uh, I've learned a lot from your shows. I hope you keep them coming. Uh, your Absolutely. podcast is new this year, isn't it? 2020. Yeah, we started in January. Wow. So it, keep it coming. I don't know how you keep coming up with such great people, but um, you've had some wonderful guests, and I'm sure you got a lot more to come. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening and thank you for for coming on and don't don't uh, knock yourself because you're a great guest. It was a great episode. And, uh, we definitely plan on having you back. So keep your calendar open. I sure will. It'll be interesting to Absolutely. see where I finally land um, in privacy, but uh, I'm looking forward to it wherever it is. So thank you. I just wanted to thank all of you out there for tuning in each and every week, and to all of our amazing guests for coming on. I, I know that. There are millions of other shows, and it means the world to have you with us on this journey. We are so grateful that you choose to listen to us each and every week. If you like the show, tell a friend, have them tell their friends, and then make maybe make some new friends along the way uh, so we can continue to spread the word and keep learning together. Let's protect what matters most. And by the way, DJ, can you go ahead and drop that outro beat and keep it classy? We'll see y'all next week. <laughs> <laughs>